At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A warm up from the low. Welcome to Lumpy Las Vegas. For this guest, with myself, Craig Hughes, and now part of the Decent Family Podcast. And we got a great podcast for you. It's in the second segment. Steve Quist does a great job as a play-by-play broadcaster for ESPN's coverage. He's going to be joining me in the second segment. He hails out in the great city of San Diego. And, hey, if you're ever in San Diego and you wind up turning on a TV broadcast, you might actually find him on the news. He does a little bit of everything out there. Also is the voice of the UC San Diego Tritons. We're going to be talking with him in the second segment about the Mountain West teams in the NCAA tournament, Wyoming's chances against Indiana here on Tuesday. And we're also going to be chatting with him just about the first-round games that really have his interest because, obviously, we've got a lot of rambunctious ones. And then in the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Tuesday as we hit some bank shots. That means that you get the first four games, you get the NIT games, and we've got the college basketball pl- classic going on as well. You get all of them, and when we wind up getting the CBI, I'll have you guys covered there. That's going to be over the weekend, so we are hitting on all these lesser tournaments. And if you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you got one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters CM maybe does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline and the other ways find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Ironically enough, a lot of you guys wound up having some questions about handicapping the NIT, taking a look at motivational spots. So let's dive into that right about now. So you have questions, and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag. Really, the biggest thing that I wound up getting from you guys is, for one, can the NIT, CBI, all these lesser tournaments be profitable? And absolutely, because while there are so many people are looking at the NCAA tournament, no question, I certainly am. It is a case in which you do have some of these lesser games. And I mean, as I'm doing this right now, the basketball classic lines aren't even out, which means that when these do wind up coming out, you're probably going to be able to get some, shall we say, soft openers, because let's just call it what it is. The books are very concerned about having their San Diego State versus Creighton line all up to date. They're very concerned about not having too much futures liability on a team like Gonzaga or Arizona. They're not necessarily overly concerned about the UTEP versus Western Illinois game right now. That is going to be going down in the college basketball classic 
Oregon versus Utah State, yeah, you're going to get a little bit of handle on that NIT game, but at the same time, it certainly is not going to be as rambunctious as, say, what we're going to be getting with regards to San Diego State against Providence. So I do think that there's a lot of money to be made, and I know that so many of you guys asked me about motivation, and I do think that you've got to be taking a look at the coaches themselves. I can tell you right now, I'm going to be on Oregon in that game against Utah State, because even though Will Richardson has been dealing with an illness, and I've pretty much handicapped him out, unless if we wind up seeing something different here in the next few hours. It is a coach in Dana Omen that always has his team up for it. They actually wound up winning, I think it was the CBI, might have been the CIT, in like his first or second year with Oregon. So, I mean, he's a guy that he's already gotten his team up for some of these spots. You've got some teams like a Texas A&M that I think that they're going to want to continue on their nice run. And then you've got other teams that maybe they want to just completely flailing at the end of the year. I'm looking at you, Xavier, last eight out of your last set, including to a Butler in the Big East Tournament when I wound up playing the points. And I do think that they're a team that they might be lacking a little bit of motivation as well. You want to be taking a look at opt-outs this time of season as well. Now, I am recording this right around 6.30 p.m. Pacific time. I've yet to see anyone really opt out of the... NIT, any of these lesser tournaments as well. It is something that you certainly want to be keeping your eyes on. I do think that that is something that is going to be important to know. What I think is going to be really intriguing is taking a look at the Florida situation because they're going to be playing against Iona on Wednesday and they're going to be utilizing an interim coaching regime because you wind up having Mike White winding up taking the Georgia job. So I do think that that is a spot in which you do want to be taking a look to see if everyone for Florida is going to be there. And if they are, probably going to be a good thing for Florida because you you got to feel like the guys are going to want to end the season on a high note. you got to feel like they're going to want to rally around the coaching staff that is still there. If you do wind up seeing a few guys opt out, then it could be a very toxic situation. So I do think that checking in on these sorts of things is very important. And then just in general, you want to be taking a look at the travel when it comes to the NIT as well. Because you've got some teams that it's going to be a bus ride away. Like for the Belmont versus Vanderbilt game that we're going to be seeing on Tuesday. Vanderbilt and Belmont are both in the city of Nashville. There is absolutely no travel whatsoever, and that means that you're probably going to have a few more Belmont fans in the stands. Meanwhile, I don't know how many of the Bonnie's faithful of St. Pod Adventure are going to be able to make the ride over to Colorado through multiple time zones and be able to show up for that game. So I do think that there are various aspects that you do want to be taking a look at for the NIT. Travel is certainly a big one of them. Motivation is one as well. If a team is making that long of a trek like St. Bonaventure, you got to feel like they're probably at the very least, pretty much in with that regard as well. And from what I'm seeing this year, you don't have a lot of teams that it seems like they're going to be lacking motivation, which I think is going to be very encouraging. So that's just some of the advice I have with regards to taking a look at the NIT, some of the angles that I'm going to be taking a look at. And an angle that I'm taking a look at for this March Madness is just being able to get the best content humanly possible. And I do think that over here at VSEN, we've got absolutely great stuff that's going down. The college basketball betting guide just wound up coming out previews all 68 teams separating the Cinderella's from the first round bus we've got ways for you to be able to fill out your bracket I wound up doing my bracket special on the podcast yesterday and if you're looking for my bracket in a little bit more paper form, you're going to be able to get it through there. I do not mind posting it up on social media since I don't want just random people I have done nothing all season long being like, oh, well, we could put instead of Greg Peterson on this bracket, 
Jackie from sales or something like that. So I want to try to avoid that. But with that said, you've got it in the VEASAN guide. You're able to watch me with the Greg Peterson experience. 1 a.m. Eastern to 4 a.m. Eastern every Saturday and Sunday. We're going to have the Betting in the Bracket show every Sunday as well. So you're going to be able to see my beautiful face in video form with that as well. You get everything that we wind up doing at VEASAN for just $19 with the Promo code vsin.com slash madness. That is the link, vsin.com slash madness. Everything that we do through April 5th, so through the national title game for just $19. And coming up next, we've got a great chat coming up as we're going to be joined by Steve Quist out here in the West Coast. Does a great job taking a look at pretty much all things West Coast college basketball, play-by-play broadcaster for UC San Diego as well. So we're going to be joined by him right here on Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Eves Peterson, now part of the Decent Family Podcast. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Craig Eves, and now a part of the and Family Podcast. And it is great to be joined by our guest as Steve Quist does an absolutely amazing job when it comes to calling college basketball all season long. He mostly does games out there on the West Coast and does a terrific job of it. And sometimes if you wind up turning on your TV, if you're out there in the San Diego area, you'll find him doing some news reports. You'll find him just on your TV dial in general. So Steve does an absolutely amazing job there. He also is the voice of the UC San Diego Tritons, who hopefully we'll be seeing them in the NCAA tournament in a few years. As to be able to follow Steve on Twitter, easy, or to be able to follow Steve on Twitter, easy enough at Steve Quist One, and that is the number one on the end of that. And Steve, great to have you aboard. Thank you. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate you having me again, man. We had talked about in the break, best time of the year, right? It's like Christmas for college basketball fans, or Christmas Eve. It is. It is absolutely amazing as we're going to be getting really started on Tuesday with the first four. But then from there, we do wind up advancing Thursday and Friday into the round of 64. But there's a team that I know that you know quite well that's going to be competing in the first four. That would be Wyoming. They're going to be matching up with Indiana. And I think that this is a really intriguing matchup because we've seen this Wyoming team be able to pull off some absolutely amazing wins. They're a team that they are a little bit different with their offense when they're away from home. But I think that this is going to be an intriguing matchup against an Indiana 
Indiana team that they, I would say, have a little bit more talent, but at the same time, execution hasn't been there late, unlike what we've seen with Wyoming in terms of, I guess you could call them crunch time situations in games. Yeah, Wyoming's got two really good players, man. Hunter Maldonado, Graham E.K., so they've been able to get it done uh, the entire year. Had a little bit of a sluggish end to February and start of March. And I think this is going to be a really tough travel day for them. I actually was in the airport. I just finished up six high school basketball games when I was in the airport <laughs> in Sacramento. And they were rerouting flights that were on their way to like Wyoming, Salt Lake City, and Reno because of bad weather. And so there was a lot of people just sitting around going, what am I doing? Why am I not in Laramie? Why am I not in Salt Lake City? So if that happens and they can't clear that out, it's going to be an even tougher go for them. I really do think Indiana, probably with the short travel over to Dayton, is probably going to be the favorite in this game, to be quite honest with you. I'm actually picking Indiana to win this game. It's a big stage for the Mountain West, and while they have four teams and they had a good season, I'm not sold on how good Wyoming is playing at this point in the season, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, it has been a little bit tough for Wyoming. And how much of that do you attribute to just their late game schedule? Because I know that there was a stretch in which they wound up playing four games in seven days prior to the Mountain West tournament. And obviously, a team like Wyoming, they're just going to go through a little bit more travel than a team like in Indiana, which out there in the Big Ten, things are a little bit more spread out, but it's not quite going from the state of Wyoming over to, say, the state of California and having to play against San Diego State. Yeah, I mean, Wyoming didn't look like they were scoring much at the end. They, you know, didn't seem like they had their legs under them. And they, and I think this year, you know, much is made about that altitude, right? And a lot of teams going up into that altitude and having a really hard time struggling and playing. And I think that's a big reason why, with the talent that they have, that's why you know, they've had as much success. But it, it started to catch up to them at the end of the season. Now, they might be able to right the ship. You know, it'll be a very, very difficult week, you know, than having to go out. And then I think it's St. Mary's, right? Then having to turn around from Dayton and then come right back to Portland. And I was doing these high school games with a fellow whose brother's a Division One head coach, and they had to do the same thing as a 16 seed few years ago in Dayton and then go across country and it was like it was just a no I don't want to say a miserable experience but it was a very difficult experience you know leaving and getting in at early hour of the morning and then your clock's all off so I think that might strike Wyoming if it doesn't uh, get them you know the first game will certainly hurt them when they get to Portland on Thursday and I always find that so interesting because ever since the setup of the first four there's only been one year in which a team from the first four did not wind up winning a game in the round of 64 and we all remember last year UCLA going from the first four to the final four so I do think that that is really intriguing (laughs) to take a look at as we do have Steve Quist joining me right here on the podcast and Steve you're a man that I mentioned it at the beginning you're out there in the city of San Diego and I do think that the Aztecs are going to be a very intriguing team here in the NCAA tournament. First round game is going to be against Creighton. I personally, in my bracket, have them survive and advancing against Creighton. But then that would most likely set up a matchup against Kansas. If we're not getting Kansas in the round of 32, something has really went wrong there. But that said, what sort of a shot would you give San Diego State of being able to make a little bit of a run? Because I take a look at these Mountain West teams, and out of all of them, I think that San Diego State is the most feisty of them just because of the way that they play defense. I agree with you. Um, Feisty. I'm going to leave feisty for Colorado State, but most talented to San Diego State. I think the Aztecs by far have the most talented roster and one that's a tad bit more experienced, I think, at least playing in big games than anyone else in the conference. So I give them a pretty good chance. I mean, it's an 8-9 matchup, right? So it can go anyway. I know there's two brothers playing in the game, right? One from Creighton, one for, I don't remember if it's Seiko or one of them has a brother that plays at Creighton. So that's going to be an interesting game. And the Aztecs do play good defense. 
And I think they're going to be really angry and still are angry after what happened last year. Remember going and taking on a Syracuse team and then just getting pummeled with Buddy Beheim making threes like uh, you wouldn't believe. I mean, San Diego State was never in that game with Syracuse last year, and that left a bad taste in their mouth as they got dumped in the first round. So I think you'll see a more spirited San Diego State effort this time around, which should be good enough to get them past Creighton. And then if it is Kansas, the thing that worries me about that is the last time the Aztecs played Kansas, they went to Lawrence and beat them there. And I know it is a while ago and nobody's left. I mean, not even Fisher's around anymore. It's certainly hard to beat a team twice back-to-back, right? When you're talking about having to beat a blue blood back-to-back, I don't know about that. So I might give the edge to number one seeded Jayhawks in that one. Yeah, I, I do think that if they would have drawn Baylor, I think that that would have been a little bit of a better matchup for San Diego State rather than a Kansas team that now with Remy Martin being able to fire on all cylinders, I think that that is a much different animal right now for Kansas. And I do think that it's going to be really interesting to see what we wind up getting in this bracket in general, because you use the word feisty for Colorado State. Among the teams I've got in my bracket from the Mountain West, I've got one advancing to the Sweet 16. I do have Colorado State being able to knock off Tennessee. I think that this is a team that's going to be able to play some very efficient basketball. I know that there are a lot of people that are sad that Tennessee did not wind up getting a two-seed, and they should have gotten a two-seed over Duke if you wind up taking a look at the resume, but it is what it is. But I do take a look at this Tennessee team, and every time I watch them, I don't necessarily feel great about them. Meanwhile, you've got Colorado State, who they're going to have to go up against Michigan in the round of 64, but I think that they should be able to survive that matchup with the way that Michigan has had a complete and utter inability to play defense. And with Colorado State, not necessarily the world's most deep team, but a team that has been together and a team that they just do all the little things very well, unlike a Michigan team that, well, we've seen it with them not necessarily being able to defend. Yeah, I mean, Michigan's a totally different team than the beginning of the year when San Diego State went there to Ann Arbor, right, in early December and played an afternoon game and, you know, hung around, but, uh, you know, ultimately could not win. But I'm like you, I think Colorado State's battle-tested enough and plays good enough defense and scores the ball with Roddy inside and Isaiah Stevens, you know, running the point. They should take care of Michigan. I'm not sure with Tennessee. I certainly wish you were watching Tennessee and Arizona the first time because, boy, Tennessee looked really good when when Arizona and Tennessee played before Christmas. And every time you watch them, if they're not any good, I hope if Tennessee and Arizona meet, you will watch that game because (laughs) Arizona could use all the help they can. I'm not sold on Colorado State beating Tennessee. From what I've seen, Tennessee looks talented enough that they'll probably get to that sweet 16 game. I think the big thing for me with Tennessee is there's just a completely different team when they wind up getting away from Knoxville. In Knoxville, this is a team that has been absolutely superb, but I mean, I've seen them when they've been struggling against a team like Georgia on the roll, when they wind up getting a lot of those close calls, and I think that that's a big thing too, and there are certain teams that they travel well, there are certain teams that they do not. I've seen Colorado State go on the road and take down very difficult opponents like Boise State so I have my faith in them with that regard. Meanwhile, it feels like every single time Tennessee winds up going away from Knoxville, it's a little bit of a tougher go for them. You probably paid a little more attention to it than I do. And they'll be away from Knoxville, like you said, in that game. And you know, this time of the year, man, anything can happen. So let's hope that the volunteers, I don't know, I'd like to see Arizona and Tennessee one more time because it was an amazing game a few days before Christmas. And I've never won when I call games to even worry about what the officials do. But uh, everybody was screaming about how poor they thought the officiating was in that game on both sides. I'd like to see a neutral court rematch of those two teams.
Yep, I do think that it would be very fascinating if you wind up getting Arizona versus Tennessee. And I tell you, from watching that game, there was a little bit of something to be desired. There's been a little bit of home cooking with the SEC refs whenever they play in their home arena. So that is something to take note of. But I certainly do think that the SEC, very strong conference as well, though. As we do have Steve Quist trying to be right here on the podcast. And Steve, We've talked quite a bit about the Mountain West teams, but when it comes to just everything that we've got for the round of 64 in the NCAA tournament, is there a matchup or two that has really caught your eye? Because I do think that we wound up getting some relatively good ones. I don't think that we're going to see anything ridiculous like a 15 or a 16 seed being able to win this season, but I could see a couple 13 seeds. I could see a couple 12 seeds being able to get the job done. Is there a matchup or two that you really have circled and you're going to be tuning yeah. in for? Murray State. Everybody that's seen Murray State seems to think that Murray State's a really, really good team. And there's always that revisionist history when you look back. There's always that one team, whether it's like, you know, Steph Curry in Davidson or Braysmore a few years ago at Kent, right? There's always that one mid-major team that has an NBA guy on it that's going to be a superstar or Lillard with Weber State that you don't realize, and that might be Murray State. Now, I don't, I'm not sure who that player is, but everybody was like, I love Murray State. And so I'm looking forward to seeing Murray State play. I'm also looking forward to, I think Cal State Fullerton's going to give Duke a hard time. I saw Cal State Fullerton quite a bit and was impressed. They got good guards and EJ Enoseki, Tennessee transfer. He can play. Not saying Fullerton's going to win, but I think it'll be a little bit harder for Duke. I was at Montana State's practice the very first day. They started in the summer. They looked really good throughout the year, and I wouldn't be surprised. I'm going to go to that game. I have tickets to the regional, so I can't wait to see how Montana State does against Texas Tech. I wouldn't be surprised if, and I think that's a 3-14 matchup. I wouldn't be surprised if Montana State won. And then, of course, as you look through the 12s, right, you're like, oh, there's always a 12-5. And for me, I think that's likely New Mexico State this year. Could be that team that comes through. I think St. Mary's, you know, is going to play what? Wyoming, Indiana. So with that travel that we talked about, I think St. Mary's will be able to hang on there in that 5-12 matchup. But, you know, some of those mid-majors, they're there every year. You just got to figure out which is the one that's going to have a good week. And I'm so glad that you pointed out Montana State as well, because I didn't wind up picking them in my bracket, but I ain't out here in Las Vegas. The point spread is 15, and I thought that this was one of the most off lines I wound up seeing because with Texas Tech, they're a team that they're averaging a full 23 points per 100 possessions basis. Fewer when they're away from Lubbock rather than elsewhere. I think that that's a little bit of an issue. And you mentioned it with Montana State. What I love about these teams from the Big Sky and also the Summit League and why I think that they're such tough outs during the NCAA tournament is that these teams wind up dealing with some very inclement travel, having to go to the VIA Center. It's pretty much equal travel for both Montana State and Texas Tech. It's a Bobcats team that is used to it. And the Bobcats really played some of their best basketball down the stretch, especially on defense. Yeah, and you know what I forgot too? South Dakota State, everybody keeps telling me, is really good. I haven't seen them this year, but I'm just basing a lot of this on just talking to other announcers. And you go through the year and everybody's like, hey man, have you seen such and such play? On a couple of occasions this year, I've had people talk to me about Murray State and South Dakota State. And South Dakota State won 30, 31 games, if I'm not mistaken. You've got to be pretty good to do that. Yep, I won up advancing South Dakota State actually to the Sweet 16 in my bracket. They are the highest seed that I won up advancing to the Sweet 16. I think that they're going to have a great run there, and it's always a great run whenever you join the podcast, Steve. I know that you do absolutely amazing work when it comes to play-by-play work 
for ESPN's college basketball coverage throughout the season. I'm not sure if they've got you any, on any postseason tournament games or not, since I know that we're going to have quite a few, actually, littler tournaments. You've got NIT, the CBI. They're starting yeah. up this new basketball classic as well, which I think is going to be very intriguing. And I know that you do some great work out there in the city of San Diego as well. So let the good people at home know they're able to follow you on social media and just what's all on tap for you. At Steve Chris One, uh, Twitter right now, not really booked for anything but arena football and college baseball baseball coming up so i think my basketball run for the year is over and it ended with six state championship games on saturday in sacramento so i'm a little burned out right now you know as an arizona alum i'm like i want to kind of take some time off and this could be a very magical special run for tommy lloyd's team so i'm going to be a part of it you know on friday for sure and hopefully on sunday and then maybe go to san antonio and new orleans after that so I'm going to be a fan and listen to your podcast and root hard for my Wildcats. Absolutely. I think a key is whether or not Kirk Kreese is going to be able to get out there on the floor. Ooh, I saw did you the see photo. How bad his, wait, did you see the, how bad his ankle looks? Yeah. That's the ugliest thing I've ever seen for the type of fall that it was. Well, it wasn't even a fall, right? Him stepping on somebody else's ankle. I was like, whoa, if there's not inter- – I'm not a doctor. I don't even play one on TV. But if there's not some internal damage in there, then he's the luckiest dude in the world. Yeah, that was not necessarily great. So I don't know if we can bank on him being back for the NCAA tournament. If he does, it certainly is a Herculean feat. But as we saw with Arizona, being able to get the job done in the Pac-12 tournament certainly is a deep team. Not as deep as the knowledge that Steve Quist winds up being able to bring on this podcast every single time he's on, though. Steve does absolutely amazing work with regards to college college basketball and also does great work with the Tritons all season long as well. So big thanks to Steve for joining me right here on Coast to Coast Hoops, now part of the VEASAN family podcast. And coming up next, it is that time to podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Tuesday as we hit some bank shots. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous (laughs) of your generation that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Spears, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And it is always a pleasure to get Steve Quest on. He does absolutely amazing work doing play-by-play for college basketball all season long. He's out there on the West Coast. And 
hey, if you ever turn on a TV broadcast in the city of San Diego, sometimes you'll see Steve on there. So it's great to get him aboard today. A big thank you to him. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Tuesday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JaronScore1. We're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. These rotation numbers are going to vary a little bit because it's going to go from the first four of the NCAA tournament, then we're going to be going to the NIT, and then we wind up having the basketball classic game. So we're pretty much going tournament by tournament here. So that is the way that things are going to be set up today. And as I always say, it doesn't matter what you're betting on, whether you're betting on the NCAA tournament, the college basketball classic game between USC Upstate and Appalachian State, or if you're betting on the national title game, there is money to be made all across the board. So let's dive into it and start with this first NCAA tournament game from Dayton, Ohio, 663-664. On the betting board, it's also the DK Nation pick. Texas Southern and Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Corpus Christi's a three and a half point underdog with your total on this game in between 135 and a half and 136 and a half. And the DK Nation pick is going to be taking the points with Texas A&M Corpus Christi. I set this line at one. I think that this should be a very tight game. Both of these teams are in the top 100 with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. But what I think is going to be able to keep Corpus Christi live here is that this is a Texas A&M Corpus Christi team that does a good job of being able to generate turnovers. 18th in the country with regards to turnovers for on a per possession basis. Texas Southern, they committed turnover on darn near 21 percent of their possessions. That's in the bottom 35 in all of college basketball. It's a Texas Southern team which should be able to do a relatively solid job on the glass. But with that said, when you take a look at this Corpus Christi team, what I think is going to be big is Isaac Mushala. He has been absolutely tremendous. Gentleman that comes in from the Congo and I think that he's going to have the biggest impact on this game. 13.5 points, 9.5 rebounds. Simon Fryerberg has been able to make an impact for this Corpus Christi team as well, giving them a little bit of pop in the backcourt. He's overall for the year giving you 8.5 points per contest, shooting 37% from three, but in the last seven games, averaging more like 11.5 points per game, shooting 45.5% from three. He's playing his best basketball late. Now, this is a team that is going to have a little bit of a tough time on the glass. You are going to need to have someone like a DeLazarius Keys who gives you six rebounds per game to do a solid job because you got Bryson Gresham on the other side. Wound up seeing some final four starts for Houston last season. Guy that's able to give you right around seven points, 6.8 rebounds, two and a half blocks per contest. And it's a Texas Southern team that I rank in the top 25, as a matter of fact, in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Problem is, you know, shoot 67% of the free line. Good news is they do a good job of being able to guard the two. This is a team that, with regards to opponents, two point shooting percentage, Top 30 in all of college basketball. Neither of these teams shoot a whole heck of a lot of threes, so the fact that Texas Southern shoots only 31.7% from distance isn't necessarily a bad thing, but you do have John Walker the third. You've also got Bryce and ATN combining for about 18.5 points per contest. These two guys combine to shoot more around 36% from three. They've been solid. Jordan Carl Nicholas is able to give you nine points, six rebounds per game. you got an interesting tempo blend as well because you do have yourself a Texas Southern team that they're looking to play relatively slow. It's a team that they rank in the bottom 200 with regards to total possessions per game. Meanwhile, it's a Texas A&M Corpus Christi team that we've seen speed up quite a few teams. When they wound up playing against Notre Dame, they were able to get to 70 against them. They were able to do that against a Minnesota team as relatively buttoned up as well. So, I do think that that's going to be very fascinating because with Corpus Christi in terms of total possessions per game, they're in 40th in all of college basketball. I do think that you wind up getting late game fouling. Texas A&M Corpus Christi shoots 76% the free line, rode in neutral court environments, 
Texas Southern, 67%. So I do think that Texas Southern, with their overall rebounding, they get the job done. But DK Nation pick is going to be taking the three and a half here. I set my line at one. And with this total, I do mind making it at 141 as I do think that things get sped up. So DK Nation pick is the points with Corpus Christi. And we're going to be taking a look at the over as we go to 665, 666. Indiana and Wyoming are going to be doing battle. Wyoming is a four point favorite in your Toronto's game. They're between 132 and 133. And I do find him saying my total at a 133 and a half. You do have a Wyoming team that, with regards to total possessions per game, they're a team that they rank outside the top 250, but you take a look at this Wyoming team in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. They're in the top 65 in all of college basketball. Now, they do experience a fall-off when they wind up hitting the road. This is a team that they're scoring right around 17 points fewer per 100 possessions when they are in a road or neutral court environment. Meanwhile, Indiana's coming in, playing some of their best offense of the entire season. They wound up putting up 77 points in the game against Indiana. Chase Jackson Davis, along with Race Thompson, are able combined for about 15 rebounds per game. You've got Trace Jackson Davis chipping in their 16 points to an at-box per contest, so he's been relatively solid, but Graham EK, 19 points, 9 rebounds. He should be able to hold up at the point of attack in this one. You are going to need to have guys like Drake Jeffries along Xavier Dussel who combine for about 20 points per contest, and they do see a dip in their 3-point shooting percentage when they are away from home to be able to thrive, but with Wyoming, they also are giving up fewer points on a per-possession basis in a road and neutral court environment themselves. Indiana, a team that's outside the top 125 with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis. You've got a Wyoming team that they don't do a good job of being able to give themselves second chances. That is going to be a little bit of a bugaboo for them, but I do think that they are going to be able to do a solid job on defense against an Indiana team that they can get a little bit loose with the ball. Xavier Johnson, doing after an offensive game, has really been able to play his best basketball. Now shooting in the mid-30s from three-point range, but I do think that Indiana is a little bit outgunned when it comes to backcourt because really outside of Xavier Johnson, you've got someone like a Parker Stewart who gives you seven, eight points per contest, shoots sub 60% at the free throw line. And then I think a big key for this Wyoming team is going to be Jeremiah Odin matching up with someone like Ray Thompson. He's able to give you eight points, four and a half rebounds per game. You take a look at him down the stretch and was able to do a very good job on the glass in the Mountain West tournament, was averaging six rebounds per contest. So his emergence has been very big for Wyoming. I think that he's going to be able to get the job done down low. I think that Alder Maldonado, 18 and a half points, six boards, 6.3 assists as a combo six foot seven point guard is going to be just enough for Wyoming to be able to get the job done. I think that that's going to be a tough matchup for Indiana. So I like Wyoming here on the money line. Southern's point half favorite. I do think that you wind up getting late game falling. Wyoming is a team that they shoot 72 and a half percent at the free line. Indiana, they shoot more around 70 percent at the free line, and it is an Indiana team that I think is going to have a little bit of a tough time out there in the backcourt. Did wind up saying my total 133 and a half, looking over and looking at Wyoming on the money line. Now we wind up hitting the NIT games as we go 667, 668 on the betting board. The Bruins of Belmont hit the road to face off against Vanderbilt. Anchor down as Vanderbilt is a 4-4.5 four point favorite in your Talents game. In between 143.5, seeing as high as a 145. And this is a spot in which Belmont is a road team. But with that said, travel is going to be sub-15 miles. Both of these teams are actually based out there in Nashville, Tennessee. And I like Belmont to be able to get the job done outright. You do like what you're able to get out of Scotty Pippen Jr. for this Vanderbilt team. Guy that has been able to do a solid job, giving you 20 points, 4.3 assists is in the top five at all of college basketball in terms of free throw attempts per game. And then from there, you've got Miles Sute coupled with Jordan Wright. These guys have a little bit of versatility. They combine for 21 points per contest. Sute is able to shoot 44% for three. Wright, 35% from distance. You've got Liam Robinson, though, who's been able to give you right around two blocks per contest. But 
It is a case in which Vanderbilt doesn't necessarily have a lot of a rotation. Meanwhile, with Belmont, what I really like for the team, Grayson Murphy. He only gives you 7.5 points per contest, but in terms of Evan Miakawa's most indispensable players in all of college basketball, he starts the top because he does it all for the team. Six assists. Six rebounds, two and a half steals per contest. Not a guy that's going to go bombs away from three, but one of the best on-ball defenders in all of college basketball, Ben Shepard, 16 and a half points per game. He shoots 37.5% from three. Belmont, he only shoot right around 33.2% from three-point range, but this team does a very good job of being able to pound the ball inside. It is why you're in and you're out. They are one of the better teams with regards to offensive efficiency. You just take a look at them in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, and they rank 31st in all of college basketball. Meanwhile, you've got a Vanderbilt team that they've been very up and down with their offense, 193rd with this regard, and it's a Vanderbilt team that they're improving a little bit on defense. They get right around 7 seals per contest, but Belmont, they get 9 seals per game. Nick Mazuzinski, 1.5 blocks per contest. Got a whole bunch of 5th-year guys that are going to be playing pretty much within their home city. Vanderbilt, I don't think is necessarily going to get the home crowd that they desire, because once again, they're playing against a team that's within the same city. I think that Belmont, with all their veterans, they wind up getting the job done in the spot. Set Belmont as a 1.5 point favor. Going to be interesting to see what we wind up getting out of a tempo in this game as well. Vanderbilt has been playing quite slow this year, right around 140th with regards to possessions per game out there in the SEC. That is slower than normal. Meanwhile, Belmont, they're right around 100th. They play a little bit faster, so I do wind up saying my total in this spot at a 146 half. I'm going to be looking over, and I'm taking Belmont on the money line. 669, 670 on the betting board. Princeton and VCU do battle. VCU finds themselves in between 6 half and 7 point favorites, and your total in this game is between 138 and 138 half. I think that this is going to be a tough matchup for Princeton. It's a Princeton team that they really rely upon the three-point shot in order to get things all functioning. Meanwhile, you've got a VCU team that they have done an absolutely amazing job with their defense. You take a look at them in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They are number five in all of college basketball. You've got a Princeton team that they rank in the top 20 with regards to team three-point shooting percentage among your top four scores. Three of them shoot at least 38% from three-point range. And then you've got Tullison of Woosman who's been absolutely tremendous for this team. He's a six-foot-eight-point forward. He's able to give you 15 points, right around seven boards, five assists, so he fills it up. But VCU, with regards to opponent three-point shooting percentage, number three in all of college basketball. That is going to be an issue for our good friends, Princeton, who rank outside the top two iron with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. And Princeton, also outside the top three iron with regards to free-throw shooting percentage. They shoot right around 67% at the charity stripe. Meanwhile, you've got a VCU team that they've been able to do a good job ever since Ace Baldwin has gone back in the fold of giving themselves a little bit more offense. Ace Baldwin wound up missing the first eight games of the season ever since he's returned. 11 points, 5.5 assists and really two-thirds of VCU games with them in the fold they've gone over because he shoots 41% for three. VCU, they shoot 69.5% the free throw line, the 15 turnovers per game. A little bit unsightly for them. Princeton, not necessarily a team that does a great job of being able to generate steals. They're a team that they give you right around five, five and a half per contest. Now, you do have a couple guys down low that are able to do a relatively solid job for this Princeton team. Ethan Wright is able to give you 14.5 points, 7 boards, shoots 40% from 3-point range. You wind up having a Woosman, who I mentioned a little bit earlier, but depth is a little bit of an issue for this team. They need Dan Freiberg and his 9.5 points, 3.5 boards to really carry the day for this team because they've been dealing with quite a few injuries. They were hoping that Keyshawn Kellerman was going to be able to give them a little bit more. Wound up trying to give it a go against Penn. He wound up playing 2 minutes, had 2 points, but and it's just a little bit of an issue for this team. VCU, they've got all sorts of depth, especially with Vince Williams Jr. being able to give you 13.5 points, 5.5 free 
rebounds and been able to get a little bit more three-point shooting out of Jaden Nunn, who gives you eight points per contest, guy that shoots right around 33% from three-point range. So I do think that VCU, with their defense-oriented style, is going to be able to get the job done. I am willing to lay up to nine when it comes to this Rams team. I did find it saying this at all 134. VCU, just such an efficient defense. I'm looking under, and I'm looking at VCU here being able to lay the points. 671, 672 on the bang bar. Cleveland State hits the road to face off against Xavier. The X-Men find themselves between a 12 and 12 and a half point favorite in your tallest game. They're between 146 and 147. This is one of these motivation spots in which you got to be wondering how much Xavier wants to be there. This is a team that they wound up losing eight out of their last ten games. They flailed down the stretch after looking like they were not just going to be in the NCAA tournament, but they were going to be a top four or so seed in the NCAA tournament. Now here they are playing against Cleveland State, a Cleveland State team that I do like Demoy Hodge for this team. 15 and a half points. It will give you 2.3 seals per contest, and he's been able to do a nice job for this bunch. A Cleveland State team that they generate right around eight and a half seals per game, and Cleveland State, very interesting with their tempo. With regards to possessions per game, they have sped up a little bit from last year. They're a team that they're clocking in right around 100th with this regard, Xavier. They're a tad bit slower, but both of these teams are relatively in the same vein with that regard, but just take a look at the Xavier team. What do they really do well? They're 100th in the country with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis. In terms of a points allowed on a per-possession basis, they're right around, once again, 100th, so that is a little bit of an issue for this team. It's a Cleveland State team that they do have their votes at the free line, shooting 67% at the free line, but Tory Penn, 13.5 points, 6.5 rebounds, CLNF, 3.5 assists per contest. He's been able to do a very solid job for a Cleveland State team that has been able to do a relatively good job whenever they've wound up hitting the road. It is a Cleveland State team that has Trey Gomillion, who's shooting 40% from three-point range with 10 points per contest. They've got quite a bit of good depth with Xavier. You do like what you're getting out of Jack Nunge along with Kobe Jones. These two guys have been able to combine for about 24.5 points per contest. They combine for about 14.5 rebounds, so these two guys should be able to win the battle down low, but I do think that Cleveland State is going to be able to stay live in this game because you do have a guy, Deontay Johnson, who's able to give you right around 7 rebounds per game and with the X-Men. They're a team that they shoot 32.5% for 3, 70% at the free throw line. They've done a good job of being able to cut down on the turnovers, but Paul Scruggs, main point guard, still giving up right around 3 per contest. Well, I wound up having one of the worst plays they're ever going to see in college basketball history as well, so I did wind up saying this total at a 144. I think the things are going to be sort of stagnant with regards to the offense, so I'm taking a look at the under, and with Cleveland State, made them a 10-point dog, so I'm going to be willing to take the points. As we go out west for this next one, 673, 674 on the betting board. You've got yourself Oregon, and they're going to be taking on Utah State. Utah State, the home team, find themselves a 4.5 to a 5-point favorite in your turn on this game. They're between 143.5 and 144.5. I do think that when it comes to motivational spots, typically it's a power conference team that has not necessarily a ton of it. I've got a lot of respect for Dana Altman. I think that he's going to have his team on fire, ready to go in this one. I made Oregon a two-and-a-half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take the Ducks on the money line. I do think that it's a spot in which you are going to be able to see Utah State do a relatively solid job with their defense. They've got Justin Bean along with Brandon Horvath down low. Horvath is a guy that gives you right around 13.6 board shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range, and then you've got Bean, who shoots right around like 45-46% from three-point range. You go along with 18 points at 10 boards per game. That is terrific, but Infali Dante is improving down low. Guy that has been able to give this team at least six rebounds, and now five other teams last seven contests. A guy that has been able to do a great job with regards to blocking shots as well. A combined 10 blocks in the last four games. He's just a guy that was a top 50 recruiter starting to really find his form now. Will Richardson wound up missing the Pac-12 tournament 
I would think that he's probably going to be out once again due to this because they listed it as illness and he was out for the entirety of the Pac-12 tournament. I'm sort of under the assumption that he has mono because I mean, you take a look at the last two games he actually wound up playing in. He wound up playing against USC and Washington towards back half of February into March and had a combined two points in those last two games. So Oregon already has a couple games under their belt without him and Davian Armand along Jake Young are able to do a good job up there in the backcourt. A combined 22.5 points per contest. Armand is able to shoot 36 for separate three-par inch. You combine to be able to give you five and a half assists per game. It's an Oregon team that you only know, turned the ball over right around 12 times per contest. So they've been able to do a solid job there. It's an Oregon team that certainly has been up and down with their offense at a big reason why. It's because they only shoot right around 67.5% at the free line. That is a little bit of an issue for this team, but I also do think that having Quincy Garrier being able to fire on all cylinders is big. 10.5 points, 5.5 boards. Guy that's able to shoot himself right around 33% from three-point range. I did like what I wound up seeing a little bit during the Pac-12 tournament out of Rivaldo Sordas as well. He figures to see a couple more minutes while well, wound up having a combined 16 points in two contests, and those games did not wind up turning the ball over at all. And I do think that Oregon is a team that has enough firepower out there in the backcourt to overwhelm a Utah State team that has been dealing with quite a few injuries throughout the season. Brock and Roll Miller has been back the full the last few games for this team. A guy that, even with him back though, he's had as many points as myself in the last two contests. He's been able to get a little bit out of Sean Bear, so he's able to give you 9.5 points per contest, but he doesn't shoot it well from 3. Utah State, they shoot 72.5 percent the free line, 34.5% from three. They get a little bit loose with the ball, so I do think that Oregon gets the job done outright. I'm willing to take them on the money line. They wind up setting my total at a 142.5. Two very mid-tempo teams in this one. I do think that you wind up getting a little bit of late game fouling. Neither of these seems so necessarily terrific at the free line. I think that it's going to be a little bit of a slog for both of these teams, so looking at the under, and I'm looking at Oregon outright. 675, 676 on the betting board. You've got Texas A&M playing Elkhorn State. Elkhorn State anywhere between a 20 and 20 and half point underdog. So on this game is anywhere team 137 seeing size of 138.5. I want to say my line here at 22. I think that Texas A&M is going to be fired up that they didn't wind up making the NCAA tournament. Buzz Williams, a very good motivational coach. And you've got a Texas A&M team that all of a sudden they've been able to fire it all cylinders. I'm actually willing to lay up to 22 in this spot because you do have an Elkhorn State team that you just take a look at and the team really doesn't do anything well. Justin Thomas is the heart and soul of this team. 11 points, 3.5 boards, 4 assists. So he's been able to do a rock solid job there, but don't have a single guy that gives you more than five and a half rebounds per game. That would be Lionel Henry, the transfer from Prairie View. Said six foot eight, in half points, five and a half boards. Does shoot forty percent from three point range to his credit. But did take a look at Elkhorn State. They shoot as a collective sixty nine percent the free throw line, thirty one and a half percent from three point range. Thomas is the only guy that gives you more than eleven points per contest. So that's a little bit of an issue. And then you take a look at the flip side for the Texas A and M team. They do a very good job of being able to pickpocket. They're in the top twenty in all of college basketball in terms of steals on a per possession basis. You've got. Uh, Quentin Jackson, who's been the headliner on offense for the team, 14.5 points, ceiling after contest, and as a matter of fact, each out of your top five scores are going to be active for this game, give you at least a seal per game. Mark Williams, you've got to feel like it's going to be out of the fold. He wanted coming in from Wyoming. It's been a little bit of a tough go of it for him there, but with that said, I like what I've seen out of Wade Taylor, the fourth down the stretch, a guy that has been able to do a good job of being able to up his scoring a little bit more, nine plus points in four of the team's last five contests. Not a guy that's necessarily going to dish out the ball overly much, but after having a rough go of it from three-point range, he's been able to pick it up. Henry Coleman, Tyrese Radford, these two guys are able to combine for 22 points, 12 rebounds, and Radford is now shooting right around 42.5% from three-point range. This is a Texas A&M team that has really been able to do a much better job on defense than they did at the beginning part of the season. With regards to points allowed on a possession basis. They've now gotten into the top 55. Meanwhile, you've got an Elkhorn State team that they rank right around 180th with this regard. They give up right around 5 points more per 100 possessions when they're in a road and neutral court environment.
Sherman. I just don't know how Elkhorn State is going to be able to get anything going whatsoever on offense. This is a team that they rank 300th with regards to points scored on a per possession basis. They don't necessarily do a great job of BL pickpocket, which is a woe of Texas A&M. The fact that they do wind up turning the ball over 13 times for contest. I think that Texas A&M just going to be able to overwhelm this Elkhorn State team with size. Did wind up saying my line here at 22. I don't think the motivation is going to be an issue in this game, so I'm going to lay it. Set my total at a 136. Got an Elkhorn State team that I just don't think that they're going to put the ball in the basket, and they're outside the top 200 with regards to possessions per game. So looking under and taking a look at Texas A&M laying the points. 677, 678 on the bang board. Washington State and Santa Clara do battle. Santa Clara is finding themselves a 3.5 to a 4-point underdog. Total is anywhere between 149 and 150.5. I did wind up saying my total at a 145. Santa Clara is a team that's up-tempo, and they're very efficient on offense. Washington is a team that they're outside the top 200 with regards to possessions per game, and they're a team that they've been able to do a solid job on defense. You take a look at this Washington State defense, and they are a team that they've been able to do a solid job of being able to hold up at the point of attack. With regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis, they now clock in right in the neighborhood of about 50th. They're a team that has a little bit of a unique home court environment as well, going out to Pullman. Not necessarily a glamorous destination. You're going up against the Santa Clara team that they've been having a little bit of a tough time on defense. 166 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis, but actually, they don't have a fall-off on defense when they do wind up playing in a road and neutral court environment. What I do think it's going to be big for Washington State in this spot is the fact that all of a sudden, you've been able to get a little bit more out of the backcourt in that you've got Michael Flowers giving you 14 points per contest, 3.5 assists. He's now shooting 38% from three-point range. Came on strong down the stretch with regards to just being able to be that go-to scorer for this team. Three-plus assists in four of the team's last five contests as well. You've got Tyrell Ghost-Roberts, who's one of the best free-throw shooters that you're going to find in all of college basketball. A guy that at the charity stripe has been able to shoot 94%. Guy that gets there quite often. Now, you've been dealing with a little bit of an injury to Muhammad Gay, but Andre Yagmovsky has been able to come in and has been able to do a solid job in the last two games that the, this team wound up playing. He wound up having 15 points, four boards against UCLA. Only had two points in the previous game against Cal, but wanted contributing 10 rebounds. I actually really like his game for the gentleman from North Macedonia. And then you take a look at Santa Clara, and you do have Jalen Williams giving you 18 points, 4 boards, 4 assists. He's able to shoot 41% from 3-point range. And for Santa Clara, each of your top 3 scores, actually each of your top 4 scores, shoot above 80% at the free throw line. As a collective, they do shoot 76.2% from 3-point range, or 38.5% 3-point shooting. That does rank in the top 20 in all of college basketball, so they've been able to do a relatively solid job there. It's a team that they do have a little bit of a tough time having their offense travel though. With regards to points scored on a per possession basis, it takes fall off of about 5 points when they do wind up going away from home. I do think that Parker Braun is going to be a big part of this game. 7 points, 5.5 rebounds per game. I just take a look at this Washington State team. Once again, you've got another very good motivational coaching staff on this team. One that embraces analytics. One that probably sees the value in these games moving forward. So I do think that Washington State is going to be able to get the job done. It's a Washington State team that has been able to pump it up a little bit more with their offense as well. Wound up scoring 70 plus points in 5 out of their last 8 games down the stretch. I did wind up saying my total at 145. I do think that they wind up being able to contain a Santa Clara team that does have Keyshawn Justice coupled with Joseph Varankic pair of combo players that do give you a combined 29 points, right around 12 or so rebounds with Justice shooting 43% for 3, but I think Washington State does a good job of being a matchup with them. We'll end the lay up to 6 here with Washington State supplying the points to go along with this total under. 679, 680 on the bank board. North Texas is going to be taking on Texas State. Texas State is finding themselves as a road underdog in this spot of 9 points. Total saying 14, 117 and 118 and a half and this is a spot in which I did want to say my total at a 120. I do think that because it is an NIT game, 
the defense is going to be a little bit more lax, and that is going to be able to give you just enough to be able to get the total over. You do have an Earth Texas team that they're in the bottom three in all of college basketball with regards to total possessions, brain man. With the Texas State team, to their credit, they do have a couple guys that are able to go bombs away from three-point range. Caleb Asbury has been able to give you 14 points, shoots 39% from three-point range. Mason Arrow, coupled with Shelby Adams. These two guys combined to shoot more like 44% from three-point range. You combined to be able to give you 21 points per contest. Isaiah Small is able to give you seven rebounds per game, but he's the only guy that gives you more than five boards per game. It's a Texas State team that doesn't necessarily have a big rotation. And then you take a look at Tyler Perry and what he's been able to do for North Texas. He has been absolutely tremendous. He's been able to give this team right around 13 and a half points per contest. A guy that from three-point range has been able to shoot 42.5% from distance. And I do think that this is a North Texas team that should be able to control things down low. Thomas Bell has been able to give you 13 and a half points, right around seven rebounds per game. But now you've been able to have, along with them, Abdu Usman, who has been able to give you 10 points, six rebounds. You take a look at what he was able to do down the stretch, giving the team six plus rebounds in five out of the team's last eight games. That was relatively impressive. And it's a North Texas team that they've got a little bit of a tough time at the free line. They only shoot right around 65% at the charity strike. They do shoot 35.5% from three-point range. This is a Texas State squad that they shoot 76% at the free line. And with Texas State, they are a team that they're relatively slow and controlled as well. This is a team that they rank in the bottom 40 with regards to total possessions per game. You do take a look at this Texas State team, and it's relatively intriguing with regards to them on offense. They rank right around 95th with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis, but even though Texas State is a relatively slow and controlled team, they're not necessarily stout on defense. They rank 146th with this regard, giving up 10.6 more more per 100 possessions when they're in a road and neutral court environment rather than when they are at home. And this is a North Texas team, 10th in the country with that regard. I think that North Texas is going to be able to bear down. I do think that the lack of defense that Texas State winds up playing on the road, especially from the perimeter, going to wind up hurting them in the spot. Set North Texas is a 12-point favorite. I'm going to lay it here. I also wound up saying my total at 120, so I'm going to be taking a look at an over 681, 682 on the bank board. Oklahoma is going to be facing off against Missouri State. Missouri State is a 6 and 6 half point underdog. Total saying we're team 137.5 and 138.5. Oklahoma, in terms of Kempom rankings, was the highest rated team to not make the NCAA tournament. And I do think that there's some redeeming qualities with Oklahoma, but let's take a look at Missouri. And they've got two guys that are going to really look to showcase themselves Isaiah Mosley, along with Gage Prim. Prim's able to give you 16.5 points, 8.5 boards, shoots 37% from three-point range, and the Mosley, he shoots 43% from three. He's able to give you 20 points. He chips in there, six rebounds, two and a half assists. These two guys are absolutely amazing. The big key is having your ancillary pieces be able to come through. Jamonte Black, coupled with Donovan Clay, they both give you 8.5 points per game. Clay has been able to give this team 6.5 rebounds per contest. Missouri State has been a little bit of a touch-and-go defense, but they're a team that they wound up holding earlier this year. South Dakota State to fewer than 70 points. That's actually one of the better defensive efforts they're going to find all season long. Meanwhile, for Oklahoma, they're giving up right around 11.2 points fewer per runner possessions when they're in their home environment. So that is something to take note of. Neither of these teams are necessarily going to be Blazers as you've got a Missouri State team that's right around 200 with regards to possessions per game. Oklahoma's more around 265th, but Oklahoma, with regards to turnovers on a per-possession basis, they're a team that's in the bottom 100 in all of college basketball, turning the ball over 15 times for contest. Now, Jordan Goldwire along with Elijah Harkless, both give you between 10 to 10 and a half points out there in the back and Omaj Gibson, Tanner Groves, these two guys, 24 points per contest between the two of them, both shoot 38% from three-point range, but Oklahoma's old, they shoot 34% from the outside. You've got a Missouri State team that they do a great job of getting to the free throw line. They hit 79% of their free throws when they're there. That's in the top 10 in all of college basketball, and that should be able to keep Missouri State live in this one. Now, I won't take Missouri State outright, but I think that they're going to be peskier. 
They wind up selling my total at a 138. Right now, we're finding anywhere between 137.5 and 138.5. Would rather have a 137.5 over rather than a 138.5 under, but if we wind up seeing a line move, that'll probably dictate where I wind up going with this one, but would rather have that 137.5 over because I do think that it's going to be close enough for late game felling. And I did wind up saying Missouri State as a four-point dog, so going to be taking a look at the points. Last game for the NIT before we hit the basketball classic, 683-684. You've got Colorado and St. Bonaventure. The Bonnies are the road team and they're four-point under. Total saying we're team 137.5 and 138.5. I think you've really got to be taking a look at the travel in this game. You have to go from what many people call the middle of nowheresville, New York. I think that's Olean, New York, and you have to go down to Colorado to wind up playing this game, and it's going to be at 8 o'clock p.m. Pacific time. That's Eastern time, 11 p.m. Boy, oh boy, this is a tough spot here for a St. Bonaventure team that they're five deep. I mean, this is a St. Bonaventure team that they don't have the depth if they do wind up getting tired to be able to put in anyone whatsoever, so I do think that that's a big issue. Now, you've got Oshun Oshun. He's absolutely terrific down low. 10.5.7 boards. He gives you nearly three blocks per contest. Not enough could be said about him. Colorado, they're going to be able to match up with him, though, because you've got Jabari Walker, son of Samaki Walker, is able to give you 15 points, nine half boards, shoots 35 and a half percent from three-point range, has really been on one recently. At least 12 rebounds in three of the last four games. 15 plus points in each of the last four contests. You do have a Colorado team that also has Tristan De Silva. He's been able to do a good job of being able to stretch a four, six-foot-eight combo player that shoots 40 percent from three-point range with nine and a half points per contest. Evan Batty is able to shoot 15 percent from three. Colorado has been very efficient on their home four with regards to three-point shooting percent when they wind up hitting the road. That's when things get a little bit more suspect with regards to total points scored on a per-possession basis this year. It is a Colorado team that they've been up and down, which is why they do find themselves 154th in this metric, but it's also a Colorado team that's been able to do a relatively solid job on defense, and St. Bonaventure, you thought their bread would be buttered on the defensive side of things. Has not been the case. It's a Colorado team that, in terms of just sheer points allowed on a per-possession basis, has the edge because the Bonnies, who I mentioned a little bit earlier, they're right around 1 or in 6th with this metric after they wound up being one of the best in all of college basketball last season. Meanwhile, Colorado, they're more around 65th. So, I do think that that is something important to take a look at with the Bonnie's backcourt. They do a good job of not turning the ball. Bro. Right around 10 and after North per game, Jalen Attaway's main score, 16 and a half points, 6 half boards, shoots 39% from 3, but the Bonnie's as a whole, they shoot 32% from 3-point range. Jerron Holmes, Dominic Welsh, Kyle Lofton all give you between 12 and 13.2 points per contest. Holmes and Welsh both give you between 5 and 6 rebounds per game, and Lofton is the main facilitator with five and a half assists, 2.2 seals per contest, but Colorado has more bodies. They've certainly got a big home court advantage, in my opinion, in this one, so I did wind up setting my line more around a five and a half. If this were a game that were played in the state of New York, I would probably be setting the Bonnies more around a two and a half to a three-point favorite. I think that home court and the travel itself is very meaningful in this game, so one delay with Colorado. Semi-total at 137.5. St. Bonaventure outside the top 250 with regards to possessions per game, so I think that it's going to be a little bit slowed down, so taking a look at the under as well as we've got two games left to hit. This will be the basketball classic. And as I'm doing this podcast, not seeing any numbers out on these two games. So got to expect them to come about in the AM, but I've got my handicap for 687, 688 on the banking board. Appalachian State is going to be playing us to USC Upstate. I did wind up setting my line at nine with Appalachian State. There's one thing that this team does really well, and that's not turning the ball over. Right around 10 and after an for contest, they're in the top 20 in all of college basketball in that regard. And I think it's going to be key for Appalachian State to be able to win and be able to pull away a little bit is Justin Forrest. 
Forrest is a guy that during the 2019-20 season averaged 17.5 points per contest down to 9.3 this season, but as we will find a little bit more glory here in the bottom half of the season. A guy that has been able to give you at least 11 points in four of the team's last five contests. A guy that has been able to cut down on the turnovers three or fewer in five of the team's last six games. And then you got Adrian Delph who really has been the main guy of being able to put the ball in the basket. 17.5 points, 5.5 boards, seal per contest, shoots 39.5% from three-point range. It's on Appalachian State team, man. It's going to do a good job of being able to pickpocket, but Appalachian State is going to be able to get the game at their pace. With regards to total possessions per game out of 358 D1 teams, they rank 333rd. And then you take a look at South Carolina upstate, and this is a team that they're looking to play a little bit faster, though they're not like absolute super blazers or anything like that. 118th of the country with regards to total possessions per game, and for this upstate team, they're one of the better three-point shooting teams out there in all of college basketball. Bryson Mazzone, he's in the zone, shooting 37.5% from three. So they will give you 15.5 points, 5.5 rebounds per game, and then from there, you've got Delvin White and Jordan Ganey. Both of these guys shoot it really well from three at all three of their top scores shoot at least 81% of the free line. Ganey shoots 50% from three-point range. Jelvin White, 8.5 points, 3.8 assists, shoots 37.5% from three-point range. But when it comes to this upstate team, boy, oh boy, this is a team that they are not guarding a soul with regards to just total points allowed on a per-possession basis. 301st. Now, in a road and neutral court environment, they've been a little bit better with that regard, and this is an Appalachian State team that, with your points scored on a per-possession basis, they do rank 216th. So, you've got your warts on both sides with regards to it, but I did take a look at this spot, and I do think that what is big for Appalachian State is the fact that they do a relatively solid job of being able to guard the three. It's not like this is a team that is going to completely shut down Upstate or anything like that, but you do take a look at it, and Appalachian State, they rank right around 120th with regards to a and three-point shooting percentage. Meanwhile, South Carolina Upstate, while they do a good job of being able to hit the three, they do a poor job on the interior, one of your worst teams with regards to opponent's two-point shooting percentage, and that's where Appalachian State is really looking to get things going with Donovan Gregory giving you right around 11.6 rebounds per game, and that should be enough for Appalachian State to be able to get the job done in this spot. I do wind up saying Appalachian State as a nine-point favorite. I think that they get their tempo, semi-total 134 as well, and we wrap things up with 689, 690 on the betting board. UTEP and Western Illinois. I set Western Illinois here as an 11.5 point underdog because this is a Western Illinois team that I talk about the bad defense that you've got with USC Upstate. And you take a look at Western Illinois. 339th of the country with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage. In terms of raw possessions per game, this is a Western Illinois team that they are clocking in at, ladies and gentlemen, 269th. Meanwhile, you've got a UTEP team that they do a good job whenever they are sent to the free throw line. This is a Western Illinois team that sometimes they wind up getting all out of sorts with regards to their actual command. They don't necessarily foul too much out there in the Summit League because it's a lot of three-point shooting, but with that said, this is a UTEP team that they very much have embraced the style of Joe Golding, who wanted coming in from Abilene Christian, being able to generate some turnovers, being able to do a good job of being able to get to the cup. UTEP shoots 76% of the free line, 35.5% from three. Only about 11.8 turnovers per contest with Solly Boehm really being able to take over the show. 19.5 points, 4.5 boards, 1.8 seals per contest. And really, each of your top three scorers for UTEP give you at least 1.6 seals per contest. That is number one in all of college basketball. Having three different guys give you at least 1.6 seals per game. And all those guys give you at least 13.5 points per contest. Keontae Kennedy being back is big as well. Wanda missing much of the season. Came back for the Conference USA tournament and looked very solid. Last three games for this team wound up having at least 11. 
11 points in every one of them. So he is back and at full force for this team. Now you don't necessarily have a ton down low. You've got Tyus Verhoeven who's been able to give you right around 5 rebounds per game. But with Western Illinois, it's been the trend Mainstream show. 17 points, 6 half boards, 4 assists. Does shoot 35% from 3 point range. So been solid there. It's been turning the ball for 3 plus times in 3 of the team's last 4 contests. It is a UTEP team that, while they're not necessarily defensive stalwarts, with regards points a lot on a per possession basis, they do clock in right around 115th. They do generate their fair share of steals. This is a Western Illinois team that, to their credit, they do a good job of being able to hold on to the ball. 11 after Norris game, you've got Colton Sandage along with Luka Brazic, who are able to combine for 27.5 points, 10 boards per contest. Both of these guys shoot right around 34-35% from three-point range. Western Illinois not going to have a tough time scoring in this game, in my opinion. They rank in the top 100 with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis. Team has been able to travel well. Will Carius gives you 14.5 points per game as well, but with that said, I think that Western Illinois not going to be able to do a good job on the glass. Their defense in general, just very spotty. I did wind up saying my total at 147.5 because you do have a UTEP team that they're not really looking to gun it. They rank 225th in the country in total possessions per game, and then yeah, Western Illinois team that while they do rank 15th, we have seen them in non-conference games wind up getting slowed down. So I did wind up saying my total at a 147.5. I wind up making UTEP a 10.5 point favorite, and that will wrap things up. For the Tuesday edition of Coast to Coast Soup Style, part of the Beeson Family Podcast, big thanks to Steve Quist for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, if you've got one or two ways we go for those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at JarenScorty1. Keep in mind, let her see them. They mean does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, Durable Fire and whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. I'm going to be coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season. It means I'm coming at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.